Let the scriptures speak for themselves. So, you arrive at the ending of Mark, and to your dismay, what you find in verse 9 through 20 is a horrible thing. Brackets. Should this be in your Bible? Should it not be in your Bible? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. Depending on how we interpret this passage, um, this could be me. Alright, so before we get too far into this video, I just wanted to make mention of the ending of Mark. Now, in this video series, we're going to be primarily debating the longer ending, verse 9 through 20, which you'll find in most Bibles, versus what we might call the abrupt ending, which is ending that gospel with verse 8. But to be clear, um, I would say that there's probably around six endings and uh, with a little caricature that we bunch all the endings of a certain type into one type. And with that, I would say there's six. So you already know of two that I've mentioned. The first is the longer ending, verses 9 through 20. The other you already know as well, which would be if we completely extracted verse 9 through 20, and we just had verse 8. We'll call that the abrupt ending. So we have the abrupt ending, ending with verse 8. We have the longer ending, L-E, for short, which is verse 9 through 20. Another ending that we have is called the shorter ending. Um, this is very rare, um, but I just wanted to read this to you so you're familiar with it. It says, And all that had been commanded them, they brief, uh, excuse me, they told briefly to those around Peter, and afterward, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west, the sacred and the imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Amen. That is what's known as the shorter ending. And this would come right after verse 8. So you'd have verse 8 and then these uh, short little uh, sentences here, all that had been commanded, they told briefly to those around Peter. Afterwards, Jesus sent out through them east to west, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. So now you've heard the longer ending the abrupt ending, and also what we will call the shorter ending. Also, I want to mention, uh, fourthly, the ending called the freer logion, if I said that correctly. And this is identical to the longer ending, verses 9 through 20, but it inserts something right after verse 14. So after verse 14 ends, so 9 through 14 continues normal as with it, with the longer ending. But after this, we have this little insert between 14, uh, the 14th verse and the 15th verse. And, and I'll read this for you. This again is the freer logion. And they excuse themselves saying, this age of lawlessness and unbelief is under Satan who does not allow the truth and power of God to prevail over the unclean things of the spirits. And then we have in brackets, 
or does not allow what lies under the unclean spirits to understand the truth and power of God. Ending of the bracket. Therefore, reveal your righteousness now. Thus they spoke to Christ. And Christ replied to them, The term of years of Satan's power has been fulfilled, but other terrible things draw near. And for those who have sinned, I was handed over to death, that they may return to the truth and sin no more, in order that they may inherit the spiritual and incorruptible glory of righteousness that is in heaven. That is the uh, interpolation between the ending of verse 14 and the beginning of verse uh, 15. In the longer ending, that is the freer logion. Again, uh, just to make a quick note, this would seem to support uh, particular views of the millennium of Satan being bound um, immediately uh, after the time of Christ. I'm not going to get into that, but I just want to note that for those of you who may be already familiar with that. If you're not, just put it in the back of your mind. So now we've talked about the longer ending, verse 9 through 20, the abrupt ending with ending at verse 8, the shorter ending, which I just read to you, and then um, before reading what I just now read, which was the freer logion. So we've got the longer ending, the abrupt ending, the shorter ending, the freer logion, and then two more I want to mention. Some Bibles attach both the longer and the shorter ending. So um, that quick snippet that I read, the shorter ending, and the um, longer ending. So that would be the the fifth, the longer and the shorter. And then lastly, I call it the asterisk or um, textual note. And in that, I'll encapsulate everything else, which is um, modern Bibles uh, span in their commentary all over the place, but they'll have that common thing, which is an asterisk. And with that, you have a, a large spectrum and variety of notes. And so um, to be sure, I would say there are six endings. But with that being said, um, no one just about anywhere that I've ever heard of argues for any of these other endings apart from either the abrupt ending with verse 8 or the longer ending with verse 9 through 20. So that's why for this series, we're not going to be going through the freer logion, the shorter ending, or the longer and shorter. And I'll briefly touch on in this next uh, segment um, some various ways that Bibles um, go about trying to explain this, but we're not going to spend most of our time there because, again, no one really thinks that any of those endings are valid. They don't have a lot of manuscript uh, support, and throughout church history, no one's really held to those extensively. So, um, that's all we got for those six separate endings. And I just wanted to make you aware of that. If you've never heard of that, there are those six various manuscript endings all throughout um, different uh, traditions that we find in different church time periods and locations geographically. Uh, but that's not been the universal church consensus of any of those endings except for the longer ending and some would argue as well with the shorter ending. Depending on your Bible translation with what you're using, when you get to Mark 16 verses 9 through 20, what you're going to find is that based on the manuscript tradition, 
uh, say the Texas Receptus with the King James Version and, or the New King James uh, versus say the eclectic text, which drives many of the texts today, you'll find either A, an asterisk, B, a single bracket, C, double brackets, or D, some other crazy thing. And so what you'll see on the screen here as um, I'm playing in this video is a collection of different Bibles that I had at the house, physical copies, and uh, I'd invite you to pause uh, and rewind as you need. Um, but what you'll see here is that there's a plethora of responses. Um, the NLT at the very end does contain the shorter ending, which was quite surprising. And many of the study Bibles as well contain some helpful notes. The NET uh, for the notes still reigns supreme uh, for supplying the most amount of information concerning the Codex of Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, if I said that right, as we'll be talking through here in this video. But I would like to hear from you guys as to what Bible translation you are using and what it has in that section. That would be a huge help if you would just leave that in the comment section down below. Also, no need to worry as we don't discriminate based on Bible translation. Also, before we get into this debate over the longer ending, verse 9 through 20, versus the abrupt ending, which is ending with verse 8, I wanted to give you a, a visual aid and a picture that helps you understand there's ultimately only uh, a couple positions we can ultimately land on. So some would argue for certain things, and I'm going to call that being original. And what I mean by original is that it originated with Mark. And on the other side of this equation, we have what is authentic. And what I'm going to argue what that means is authentic means it was intentionally decided upon by the church or by Mark, and um, there was agreement on it. And so ultimately, we only have four options of what this could be, um, this, this longer ending uh, of what's in debate. Either it is both original and authentic, meaning that Mark wrote it, the church accepted it, and uh, we should accept it into the the not only the canon the canon of scripture the book of Mark but also that passage we should see it as canonical and inspired. The next option we have is that it is considered original. Uh, again, either uh, and again I would define original as by Mark. It is either that or it is original number two, but not authentic. Really, no one's going to hold this unless maybe you're like an atheist or agnostic or skeptic watching this. That would mean that Mark did write it, but it's not to be entered into the canon or isn't inspired uh, by God. So this would um, ultimately, ultimately lead to us rejecting lots of other things biblically like, um, well, the whole Bible. So number two's out. If you're a Christian, you're probably not holding that or, or you're pretty... Uh, pretty confused and probably really challenged. The third option is that it's not original, but that it is authentic. Now, this view, along with the other views, could have a spectrum of positions, meaning that some could hold that the longer ending is original, or excuse me, is not original, say that Mark intended to put it in there, but that you could argue that it uh, 
was Mark's writing? And some would say, well, that that's not original, but it is authentic. Others would say within this third position is that Mark didn't write it, uh, excuse me, uh, okay, maybe that Mark didn't write it, but that, uh, or he didn't intend to put it in there, um, but that the church, uh, whether by persecution or death, chose to put it in for him. So it could still technically be the writing of Mark, but it wasn't something that Mark was planning on putting in there. Something like that, someone could say, and again, there's a spectrum of belief with this view. You could say it's not original in a technical sense, but it is authentic. It is Mark in, it is written by Mark, but it wasn't, you know, his choice to put it in there. The last position, of course, is uh, what many take uh, is that the longer ending is neither original, it's not from Mark, nor is it authentic, right? It's not something the church either had the authority to put in, or it's not something the early church wanted to put in at all. It's a later fourth century uh, forgery or corruption. And so these are really the four options we have for viewing the longer ending of Mark. And I want you to pay attention in the um, video ahead as ultimately everyone's going to land in some way on one of these four positions. So hopefully that's helpful for you uh, to kind of narrow down this debate. If you're a faithful Christian and you find this section of Scripture that you believe to be the very words of God, you either come to a conclusion that you need to crumple up this section and throw it away because it's corrupted the Scriptures God has given you. And then, what? Oh, we're easy prey, my friend. Easy prey, we're sitting targets. Okay, look, I think I have a plan here. That's it. I'm out of ideas. We're closed. Or you come to another view. You come to a view that uh, this indeed is the inspired word of God, and you need to defend it. Take him and kill him. And so you may take the approach of Mike Wazelski, or you may take the approach of uh, the man in the book of Eli. But nevertheless, you have to come to a conclusion um, if you want to faithfully walk with the Lord and, and what you see, okay, this is inspired or this is not. Um, or you can just stay in um, purgatory of uh, textual criticism limbo and just hang out. Uh, and that's something else I guess you could do as well as this is such a sticky issue. But hopefully this video will give you some clarity and help um, concerning this issue. All right, so without further ado, what you're going to see in these next uh, minutes of this video is first I'm going to introduce some of the main schools of thought from different scholars, reputable and notable theologians, pastors, um, and Bible teachers. What this isn't, this isn't an exhaustive, detailed explanation of all the intricacies of their views, but rather it's just a brief overview of where they ultimately land on certain positions. So 
if you say have a certain fan of, of a certain pastor or theologian, how they answer this question of the longer ending of Mark, and you hear their answer on this video and say, well, they believe this actually and that. Again, what I'm trying to do is show you where they ultimately land. I would highly encourage you to go check out for yourself some of their more lengthy discussions and lectures and, and videos and sermons and debates on this issue. But for our purposes here, it'll just be a brief overview. And then immediately from there, what we're going to do is jump straight into some different books I read, and that'll be a montage. Again, if you see changing haircuts, um, dress and all this stuff, this has been recorded over a period of weeks as it's taken a long time to study this issue. And um, again, so overview of different views in this uh, school of thoughts and, and debate. And then after that, I'll give you my research and reviews. And then I think we'll spend from there some time in the church fathers. And uh, and then we'll close out with some concluding thoughts on this uh, delicate and important discussion concerning the bracketed text of Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, 9 through 20 is not authentic. Most scholars would recognize that. That's the passage that talks about how the disciples will pick up snakes and uh, drink poison and not get sick. Uh, not only do our earliest Greek manuscripts lack it, but uh, both Eusebius and Jerome, church fathers from the 4th and 5th century, said the manuscripts we've looked at, the vast majority of the Greek ones don't have it, even though today the vast majority of the Greek manuscripts do have it. So what was the majority reading in the 4th century and the 5th century is different than it is today. So Jesus has been raised. They're to meet him in Galilee. Then Mark chapter 16, verse 8 says, but the women fled the tomb and didn't say anything to anyone, for they were afraid. That's where the gospel ends in the oldest and best manuscripts. The women don't tell anybody, and Jesus never appears to the disciples. Boom. End of story. First day of the new week, two women from his disciples come to the tomb and they discover that the tomb is empty. The stone's rolled away. And an angelic man informs them that Jesus isn't here, that he's risen from the dead. And so he orders them to go and tell this good news to the other disciples that Jesus is alive, that he'll meet them back up in Galilee. And the women, they're freaked out. Mark says that they fled from the tomb in terror, telling no one, for they were afraid. And that's how the book ends with Jesus' disciples showing the same kind of fear and confusion that concluded Acts 2 and 1. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that the Gospel of Mark has more to its ending, where Jesus appears, he speaks to his disciples, but there's also a note there telling you that that ending is not part of the original book, that it's only found in later, less reliable manuscripts. Now, it's possible that the original ending got lost, or that Mark actually never finished writing his account, but it's more likely that this abrupt ending is intentional to make a point. As I look down at the Bible here, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 20, if you look at a note, in the Bible, you'll notice that the earliest manuscripts did not have that ending of Mark. That's true. However, there's nothing in the ending of Mark, verses 9 to 20, that isn't taught elsewhere in the scriptures, except maybe for snake handling. That's why I don't advise. We've already seen that Mark 16, 9 to 20 has extremely strong external support. It is supported by over 99% of the Greek manuscripts of Mark. It is supported by over 30 early patristic references. It has a wide range of versional support. And even in the two early manuscripts that end the text at verse 8, 
there are indications that the scribes were aware of the absent verses. I don't believe that the longer ending is, is a real... Why did you not accept Dr. Clark's challenge to drink poison? Well, that proved that textual criticism matters. And I'm <laughs> thankful for that. Now, if, if the good doctor would do just a little bit of research, a little bit of study, show some respect for the other side, he could have accessed a critical edition of the Greek New Testament and would have understood that there is a textual variant of that passage. He seems to think that inerrancy has something to do with exactly which text you choose rather than the original autographs. He's very confused as to what inerrancy is. He's confused as to what manuscripts. But the man has no access to that, did not ask for any access to that, but brought a visual aid, which he complained about me holding up an iPad, but he brought Prestone antifreeze. Hmm. The entire argument missed the importance of the fact that miracles happen at a particular point in God's history. We've got this long textual variant stuck on the end of Mark that we know did not appear in the original autograph written by Mark. That's why it's in brackets. The ending of Mark at chapter 16 verse 8 remains very controversial and there's a recent book and I should have got the name in my head and I'm sorry I don't but you could find it um, if you went onto Amazon and just looked up under ending of Mark, that's in the title, by a, a very, it's a very recent book by a scholar arguing extremely strongly and cogently that uh, Mark cannot have ended at verse 8 of chapter 16 and that there must have been a longer ending which is in fact now lost. Now, um, I have actually argued that in, in a kind of amateur way myself before that book came out. And if you look at the section on Mark in my book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, you'll see. It appears that sometime after the 4th century, a longer ending of Mark, including the resurrection appearances, had been inserted into the official Bible text. The arrival of Sinaiticus was an absolute bombshell in Victorian society and in the world, not just of theology, but across the whole community. For the first time, it could be demonstrated without any doubt to the scholarly mind that the end of Mark, as people had known it for hundreds of years, was not the end as Mark had written it. That meant that there was a real doubt about all of the gospel. All right, so one of the helpful books that really helped me tease out this issue was The Four Perspectives. This is a series of books that um, goes by the title of this. And of course, this was on the four views of the ending of Mark. And uh, there was content from Daniel Wallace, who is a very notable scholar from Dallas Theological Seminary. I believe he's still uh, teaching in some degree out there and, and working with manuscripts. We had Maurice A. Robinson, who defended um, a canonicity view of verses 9 through 20. And then uh, the third view was from J. Keith Elliott, and uh, a man I had never heard of. And then the fourth view was from uh, David Allen Black. So um, I just want to one by one go through some of these chapters and give you a broad summary of what they believe concerning the ending of Mark, and uh, and then after that, I'll give you some, some interaction with it from myself. Daniel Wallace, um, I think the best way to describe his view in summary, I think his view would be very similar to that of the Bible Project with Tim Mackey, wherein that he believes that Mark chapter 16 would have 
been intentionally ended at verse 8. Um, and again, some of the reasons people say this, one is to open up a response from the audience. Daniel Wallace, he cites the uh, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus um, and references these. It's interesting that uh, many people reference these, but from both sides, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. In short, Daniel Wallace, um, he argues for the the early ending of Mark and then verses 9 through 20 would have been a later contribution. Um, He does acknowledge that it's very early, um, to my knowledge, but um, he would say that it was maybe a collective initiative from the early church um, to kind of write in and finish in Mark because they didn't like the abrupt ending. Um, So that's his view because he's answered this question many, many times. Um, is he calls it a, a tradition of timidity. And what he means by that is that um, he gives this analogy in this book, which was um, his, his words from uh, a conference that happened at Southeastern, I think back around two, um, 10 years ago, something like that. But anyways, um, he cites a story in which um, Jerome, he had translated um the plant that gave shade to Jonah. If you're familiar with that story, he had translated it um, as ivy instead of as a gourd, I believe. And there were riots in the streets because of that. And so with that context, he says, is it really surprising that Jerome wouldn't believe in the longer ending of Mark? And yet, um, still place it in um, to uh, to not be beaten to death by crowds, essentially. And so I, I think he has a good point. And um, that's something he continually says in, in his interviews, um, in his conversations when he speaks of that, is this tradition of timidity to say that, uh, look, there's just this fact that Bibles that don't contain verses 9 through 20, they don't sell because people don't buy them. And um whether we would like to admit it or not, uh, money is a driving factor for not only creating new editions of the Bible, but also selling existing editions of the Bible. At some point, this is someone's living. Maurice Robinson's argument from the Four Views book concerning the LE or the longer ending of Mark main relied on internal evidence, and he tried to make arguments and did make arguments uh, from the early church fathers as well. Um, He specifically quoted Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, um, personally, which we'll look at later on. I think that the Irenaeus quotation is extremely significant, probably the most significant early church father quotation for this debate, um, because I think it's so clear. The Justin Martyr debate is um, a little bit more ambiguous, but nevertheless, there may be something there uh, for me personally. Um, it's not quite as clear in contrast to, again, Irenaeus, where it's just so abundantly clear. He's quoting, he specifically, uh, it couldn't be more clear, quite frankly, that he's he's quoting the longer ending of Mark. And of course, Irenaeus was around in the second century. So this is a strong argument. But in summary, for Maurice Robinson, he has the patristic evidence he appeals to for the authenticity of the longer ending of Mark. But essentially, his arguments revolve around studying uh, word lists and the use of words in Mark from the original Greek, as you can see here on this chart. Um, Elsewhere, he argues for 
what's called motifs or themes. And so, for example, uh, one of the things he brings up is that there's this continual Elijah theme uh, in which the first chapter of Mark, it begins with John the Baptist as this new Elijah, and then he traces that through the Gospel of Mark. He does this with the, a few themes, and then in summary, he uh, bounces back and forth from um, parallels from Mark chapter 1 and Mark 16. Um, we're projecting, and he points this out in, in this uh, second chapter of this book, which I think he's right. We almost project a postmodern worldview and to, to say that the reason Mark left it open is because he wants the readers to respond, which I don't think is wrong, and he wants them to internalize it and subjectively experience it. And not everyone's arguing that, that says that uh, Mark 16 ends in verse 8, but some are. And I think... Um, Again, that may be more specific to our culture and generation. Um, again, I, I didn't live in the first century, so I, I can't speak to that. And then lastly, something else I think that he points out, Maurice Robinson, that is extremely helpful, is that the harder evidence needs to be weightier than the softer evidence. So for example, the common evidence that's cited in our, again, you need to remember this, our oldest and best manuscripts it's in the from the fourth century with these two codexes that you can still look at, and I'll show you in just a minute. He uh, comes to say that it's authentic, and he mainly uses uh, word usage percentages and um, motif arguments. For the third chapter with uh, J.K. Eliot's interpretation of the longer ending of Mark, one of the things he points out that I think was extremely important to this debate and argument is that in some manuscripts, the Gospel of Mark, whereas if you open your Bible, hopefully you have a Bible, um, if you're watching this, it'll come second. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But for certain uh, manuscripts, particularly the, the Western Gospel order, Mark didn't come second, but actually came last. So you would have Matthew, Luke, John, and then Mark. And so from this reasoning, one of his arguments, um, which I think is a good argument, is that Mark was uh, clearly from the manuscript evidence for some texts um, tacked at the end of the Gospels. And so for that reading, say you're a Christian, you're reading your, your New Testament, you would read Matthew, then Luke, then John, and then you would read the ending of Mark. And to close out that Gospel section, you would have this um, ambiguous, um, unfinished ending with uh, verse 8 of Mark. And so he argues for that reason, uh, the early Christians said, you know, this, this can't be the proper ending um, of Mark being at the end of this. So uh, very early, they filled in the rest of that. Again, this is one of his arguments. And then after they rearranged the gospel order to a different order and Mark was no longer last, then after that, they decided to leave in the longer ending of Mark uh, for the sake of piety. So I think that's one of uh, J.K. Eliot's good arguments and good analysis of the evidence. If I understood him correctly in his chapter, um, I think that he argues that the original ending was lost and then was replaced. And then he has a few couple uh, speculative um, real possibilities of how, you know, that might have come about in which it was lost. Um, he argues 
one of these uh, speculations from the primacy of Peter um, being in question and, and therefore the ending was removed. Again, so J.K. Elliott, uh, the interesting thing that he does bring up is that Paul quotes a Christian tradition in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, verse 5, in which Peter experienced what theologians call a Christophany, or the appearance of the resurrected Christ, right, in his new body that was different. And so uh, Christ appeared to him uh, early on, and then to the others, according to that tradition that Paul repeats in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Nevertheless, the actual account of this Christophany is not anywhere in the Gospels. And there is reason to believe, as we know, that Mark was the scribe of Peter, if you will. Um, you would think that this Gospel account from the mouth of Peter would contain the personal Christophany uh, that Peter experienced. So I think J.K. Elliott, um, I really appreciated him bringing that up from this. He argues that maybe this was in the original ending and because of the primacy of Peter or something else, intentional or unintentional, um, it was taken out for whatever reason um, and replaced with something else that would be more fitting. The fourth chapter uh, by David Allen Black, he argues that Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 20, otherwise known as the longer ending of Mark, the L-E, was a Markin, so Mark himself, supplemented. Um, and he gives a, a couple possible scenarios. There's not um, an extensive amount of hard evidence if we take Markin priority, or in other words, that Mark was written first, and then something happened and we don't know. And it's it's almost like you're putting your best detectives, um, which I would argue all of these guys are, on a case that the evidence is confusing and contradicting and um, it's hard to interpret. That's been the single theory that has been really popular about how the Gospels happened. Mark came first. There was this mystery source or sayings document floating around. Matthew and Luke drew on that and then John came along much later. But I've heard for a long time that the earliest church fathers had a little different opinion about this. They seemed to be interested in placing Matthew first, which, well, doesn't line up with what a lot of modern scholars think. So what gives? Well, that got me curious and got me digging around. I went and I read this book by a guy named David Allen. I'll be back.